0: Well, as summer sadly is winding down, a question a lot of us are asking this time of year is um, how do I get in? Maybe you, you, there's an internship or a residency or a job, and you're thinking, okay, how, how do I get in there, man? Like, well, what do I need to do? How do I show that I'm persistent but not desperate, right? How do I get in? A lot of people are wanting to pursue membership here at Vertical. Praise God for that. And it's so funny because in membership meetings, uh, people want to be confident, yet communicate that they are humble. So we'll be like, okay, uh, let's get you serving. What, what are you good at? And people will be like, well, I, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm good with kids, even though nothing good within me dwells, right? And we're like, okay, um, can you sing on the worship team? Yeah, I can sing on the worship team, only if Christ strengthens me, though, right? Or... Um, Maybe you're trying to get into a certain class or a relationship. What's up? Anyone trying to get into a relationship? You can raise your hand. No no one's brave enough. Hey, we got one hand over there. What's up, bro? The reality is all of us know what it feels like to be outside of something and asking the question, what do I have to do to get in? And for the next two weeks, the question our passage's answer is, How do I get into the kingdom of God? Open up your Bible to Mark chapter 10. Who's got a real Bible in the house this morning? Lift that thing in the air. Heaven and earth will pass away. This thing is going to last forever. Amen? If you don't have a Bible, we would love to hook you up with one after service. We're in Mark chapter 10 this morning. And if you remember last week, Jesus was teaching to a massive crowd when some Pharisees came up and tried to drag him into a, a heated cultural and theological debate regarding Divorce And Jesus, as always, gives an answer that no one expected, and that completely settles the debate. It's a, it's a messianic mic drop, and then he takes the disciples into a little house where he continues to teach on divorce and remarriage, and that's where our passage picks up this morning. Mark 10, we're in verse 13. If you're there, say nice and loud there. All right. This is the word of God. These are the best words I have to offer this morning. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. So for us to understand this text, we need to first know how people viewed children during the days of Jesus. Uh, During this day, uh, there was a Roman Roman law called Patria Potestis, which gave the father ultimate power, not only over his slaves, but over his wife and his children. No matter the age of his children, a Roman father could kick his kids out, sell them into slavery, and sometimes even kill them without any legal repercussions. Oftentimes, a newborn was placed at the feet of his father. If the father picked it up, the child would come home. If the father turned away and walked away, the child was disposed of either taken to the city, trash heap, or sold into slavery. And in fact, just a few years ago, archaeologists in Israel discovered a sewer clogged with the bones of infants dating back to this exact period. We have a letter dated June 17, 1 BC, written by a man named Hilarion, who apparently heard that his wife gave birth to his child. He writes, quote, if it's a boy, let it live, and if it's a girl, expose it, meaning, Bring it outside and let it die in the elements. Seneca, the renowned Roman statesman at this time, wrote, We slaughter a fierce ox, we strangle the mad dog, we plunge the knife into a sick cow, and children born weak or deformed shall be drowned. Now, in regard to disposing of unwanted babies, America has sadly degenerated back to ancient Rome. But you might say, okay, outside of that... We love our kids today, right? We, we probably love our kids too much today. Well, kind of. In her book, All Joy and No Fun, The Paradox of Modern Parenting, Jennifer Sr. says that today we tend to view children as just another piece in the American dream puzzle. And therefore, she writes, quote, we have heightened, unrealistic expectations of what children will do for us. And we regard them as sources for our existential fulfillment, not people in and of themselves. In other words, Americans think children exist to make adults happy and to improve, improve adult lives. They're not people. They are things in the way, things that uh, are meant to uh, kind of accentuate my designer life. And so in Jesus' day, you just need to feel that we It doesn't seem far off. Both in our day and in his day, children were disposed of and seen as things in the way, not people to be loved. Verse 13: And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. Who's bringing the children? Note, Mark uses the masculine pronoun here, indicating it's not just moms bringing their kids to Jesus. Dads were there too. Dads, note that. They're taking spiritual initiative to lead their kids to Jesus. And these children, they aren't teenagers or middle school kids. The word here is little children. And Luke tells us in Luke 18, 15, now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. So these are toddlers and babies. And their parents want Jesus to touch them. Why? Well, because it was a a terrifying thing to be a a parent in the first century. It's always a terrifying thing to be a parent of young kids, amen? But in Jesus' day, catch this, scholars say six out of 10 children died before the age of 16. Six out of 10 died before the age of 16. So these parents are terrified For their children. And the tradition going all the way back to Genesis, when the patriarch Israel laid his hands upon the heads of his sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, was for rabbis to touch the heads of Jewish children and speak a blessing. A blessing was believed to invoke or pass on divine favor from the rabbi to the child. So just feel the scene, you guys. The disciples and Jesus, they're sitting in this house talking about divorce and remarriage. Someone knocks on the door, and outside is a mob of wiggly, wild, snotty-nosed toddlers and crying babies, and they want Jesus to touch them. So what did the disciples do? Did you see it at the end of verse 13? And the disciples rebuked them. One translation says, they scolded the parents for bothering Jesus. And, and just look at how Jesus feels about that. See it in verse 14. But when Jesus saw it, what does that say? Nice and loud. He was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. This is the only place the word translated indignant is used in the New Testament. It's a combination of two concepts. To grieve much, so much, so much that it makes you furious. You know, you can know a lot about someone by what they love. I think you can know more by what they hate. Asking them what makes you maddest in all of life reveals their deepest being. For Jesus, it's death. See that outside of Lazarus' tomb? It's using his house, a house of prayer, for selfish motives. And it's appointing yourself as the gatekeeper to the kingdom of God. Point one, if you're taking notes, vertical church, Don't be a bouncer. Don't be a bouncer to the kingdom of God. Side note, because, guys, it's my job to preach the passage in the tone the passage is in, just as Jesus is indignant. And so I need to lay into all of us right now, but before I do that, I want you to know I am the chief of sinners in this respect, okay? So this is for all of us, all right? Say, this is for all of us. Okay. What made Jesus indignant was not the disciples' view of the children, but the disciples' view of themselves. You guys, the problem was that they forgot who they were. Who are they? They're sinners, serious sinners, whom Jesus had pursued and rescued, not because of anything they had done, but because of Jesus' unmerited grace. The disciples should have been saying to one another, dude, can you believe this? We're in a house Right now, with Jesus. Like just a few months ago, I'm collecting taxes. I'm literally stealing from God's people. And now I'm in the presence of God. And what's so crazy is he keeps calling everybody in on this. Anyone can get in on this. The same grace that saved us, you guys, that's available to everyone. So sinners can get in here. Women, you've got a place. Children, come on in. Instead, as soon as they received grace, they positioned themselves as the gatekeepers deciding who gets grace. And don't we all do that? We do the same thing. Wait, wait, who who did you vote for? You voted for who? Oh man, then you got to kind of, you got to stay far. You're far from him until you change your views. Wait, wait, you don't believe that verse? Oh, well, the only people who get into the house are people who believe the full counsel of God as I interpret it. Wait, wait, you, you think what about spiritual gifts? Dude, that's going to change the whole vibe in here. You got to stay out. Jesus only lets certain people into his presence who, you know, come to think of it, look and think and act just like me. And that makes Jesus not just angry, indignant. Guys, all of us do this, and listen, we all need to stop today. Like, as serious as a heart attack, stop it. Jesus does not need a bodyguard, and the kingdom of God does not need a bouncer, and if it did, you'd be the one getting bounced. You're not the gatekeeper for the kingdom of God. Jesus says, I'm the gate for the sheep, John ten seven. Christ does not need crowd control. Stop it. The triune God is perfectly capable of deciding who's in and out, who's near or far, and he's not asking for your opinion. Listen, he's demanding your praise. He's demanding praise that, that he's saving people that we think he shouldn't. If you think you have any business speaking into who gets to come to Jesus, stand down and consider your calling. Not many of us were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world. That's you to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing, things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. If the question is, how do you get into the kingdom of God, or who gets into the kingdom of God, it's not the bouncer. What's so sad about bouncers is, because they're working the crowd, they're standing outside. They never actually get to come and enjoy the party themselves. And if you haven't felt refreshing, rejoicing over the extravagance of the infinite riches of God's grace in a while, it's likely because you've been missing the party because you're working the crowd. That's what's so ironic. It's what's so ironic about the older brother and the prodigal son. He was so concerned about who the party was thrown for that he never actually enters the party himself. You are not Jesus' bodyguard, you are not the kingdom's bouncer, and you need to stand down. We all do. So, what kind of heart posture does Jesus want? For his disciples, see it in the text, verse 14. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant, and he said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Here it is. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Point two, be like a baby. (laughs) Be like a baby. I have a baby, you guys. I have Sweet Afton. We just celebrated uh, her very first birthday. And as I was reflecting on her uh, life over the past year, I realized something. She contributed nothing over the last year. (laughs) Like nothing. There was never a time where Alex and I were having a good conversation and she pulled out her passy and contributed something to the conversation. Like that never happened. She's never even said anything. There was a never time where we were at a restaurant and she, in her high chair, kind of says, no, no, I got this. You guys have been changing so many diapers lately. This one's on me, right? She's never contributed anything. And Jesus says, that's the point. You know, a lot of people preach this passage like, hey, kids are joyful. Jesus wants you to be joyful. Kids are adventurous. Jesus wants you to be adventurous. That's the opposite of what Jesus is saying, He's saying, look at this crowd. They contribute nothing. If you want to come into the kingdom of God, then you need to see yourself as one who contributes nothing. If the disciples had remembered who they were when they first came to Jesus, then they would have looked at this crowd of filthy, non-contributing babies and thought, just like us. Come on in, you'll fit right in. You see, those who know they've been given free grace, give grace freely. Okay, let me say that again. Those who know, they feel it in their bones, that they have been given free grace, give grace freely. No one gives grace better than a person who is deeply persuaded that they have received grace and are now receiving grace and will continue to need to receive grace until Jesus takes them home. Yes, as we mature in the faith, we leave behind childish things, 1 Corinthians 13, 11. Yes, we begin to f- feast on meat instead of milk, 1 Corinthians 3, 2. But listen, no matter how mature we grow in the faith, we never forget how we came in as a non-contributing baby. So first, Jesus wants to deal with identity. You're not a bouncer you're not a bodyguard. You're more like a baby. And now he moves us to mission. You see that in verse 14? I kind of read over it fast. Look back at verse 14. He was indignant, and he said to them, let the children come to me. That's the mission. Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God of God. Apparently the mission for all the disciples is exactly what the parents are doing up in verse 13. Look at what the parents were doing. And they were bringing children to them that he might touch them. Vertical church, here's the call from Mark 10 verse 14. Make it your life's mission to bring children to Jesus. Jesus says the kingdom belongs to children. So guys, right now God wants to give us A multi generational vision for children right now, right here. And you might be saying, Well, Chris, I don't have kids. Hey, Jesus isn't talking about having kids, He's talking about influencing them, He's talking about bringing them to Him through the gospel. Some of the most influential people in my children's lives are people who don't have kids, but they treat my kids like they're theirs. Some of them are in this room right now, and you know who you are. You take interest in them. You get down on their level during family time, and you talk with them, and you and you tell them about Jesus and vertical kids, and you just need to know this. They don't forget what you say, like ever. They, they re- repeat what you say for months. In fact, they don't forget who you are. Today, I'm praying through this text that God would give us a vision for children, because here's the reality, guys. Today's babies are tomorrow's pagans. Do we know that? Today's darling babies are tomorrow's flagrant pagans. You say, well, that's kind of strong talk. Okay, in Judges 2, God's people had just had this amazing run. All right, so they just, they inherited the land. It's the promised land, man. The entire Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, it's all about this land. We're moving to the land. We're moving to the land. They get the land. All the promises of God come true. And listen to what happens. Judges 2, starting in verse 6. Joshua dismissed the people. So they just partied. They dismissed the people. And the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who had outlived Joshua, who had all seen the great work the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years old. Verse 10, and all that generation also were gathered to their fathers You see that? Every generation is only one generation from totally abandoning the Lord. And when Jesus says to the disciples, let the children come to me, he's calling all of his disciples to a generational mission. Let me say this again. We as a church have been called by God and are empowered by God for a generational mission. You guys, America is in so deep right now. We are so distracted by the devil, so drunk with power, so filled with hate, so neck deep in sin and filth that that I don't see reform happening quickly. I'm praying for it, but I think God's going to answer my prayers for revival through raising up several generations of men and women who truly know and love Jesus. And how will that happen? Not by chance, not by sitting on our hands. It will happen through regular, run-of-the-mill, ordinary Christians like you and me absolutely pouring our lives out for the sake not of this generation, but the next The only way our country stands a chance is if God raises up thoroughly converted, morally upright, missionally minded, biblically literate young people who will grow into positions of influence and begin turning the nation right side up through the proclamation and the implications of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If that happens, businesses will be repurposed From making money to making much of Christ. Do you believe that that can happen? Entertainment will change because people won't have an appetite for death any longer. The porn industry will be ran out of business, not through legislation, but through transformation. Transformed hearts saying, there's no way I'm going to look at an image of God like that. There's no way I'm going to let his image and his design for sex be degraded like that. I have no taste buds for that. Listen, all of this will happen if and only if you and I will do Psalm 145, 4, which says, one generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. You see, guys, the reality is I so wish this wasn't the truth. But the reality is, the gospel is not in human DNA. Ever since the fall, humans have been born adorable and cosmically criminal. Which means every generation must be taught the gospel of free grace for the first time. No generation can coast on yesteryear's grace. We can't assume the next generation will love Jesus. We must assume they won't. And if you have kids or if you don't, you must take personal responsibility to tell the next generation the mighty acts of God. Let the children come, Jesus says, to his disciples. Let the children come. Guys, we need to stop thinking of ourselves as isolated individuals disconnected from the past and from the future. Your life is more than your own lonely, personal struggle for significance. We need to stop waiting as if meaning and purpose will just someday kind of happen to us at some later unspecified date. No, no, God has woven each of us, this is so amazing, into a story that is so much larger than your little life. You are in this moment, by God's sovereign plan... And you are in this place by God's sovereign purpose. For 2,000 years, Christians have understood this. They, They understood that we stand on the shoulders of the saints in the past. And the saints of the future will also need a place to stand. And you guys, it's our shoulders. Do you know what this means? It means you matter more than you can fathom or imagine You matter so much. An entire generation is counting on the decisions you make in your actual life. In my Bible, I keep, I've shared this before, a graph. So I have three kids. And if each of my kids gets married and has three kids, and each of their kids gets married and have three kids... If that reproduction cycle continues for the next 100 years, I will have 162 direct descendants. So about as many people that are in this church. If that reproduction continues by God's grace for another 100 years, by year 200, I will have 13,000 direct descendants. My little meager marriage with Alexandria... We will have 13,000 descendants. And if that cycle continues for another hundred years, I will have 1,062,882 direct descendants. And I keep this in my Bible because I want to see it every day and remind myself that every decision I make matters for me and my million how I love and serve my wife, how I raise my kids, the the kind of spiritual environment I create in my home, all of that is setting the trajectory for not hundreds, not thousands, but millions of people coming up behind me. I mean, do you see how Satan is confusing you? He's getting us to, to live our lives for a hundred likes on Instagram when we've been created to live for a million infinitely valuable eternal lives whose spiritual suge- trajectory will be sovereignly set by you. He's convincing us to live for a hundred likes instead of a million lives. Your life matters. How you spend the moments and the minutes will directly influence hundreds and thousands and maybe even a million people in the next 100, 200, 300 years. And so for me and my million, we will serve the Lord. Let the children come, Jesus tells the disciples. Let them come. Guys, I'm so grateful for men and women who understood their place in redemptive history and invested everything they had for the cause of Christ. I've shared this before, but just think the last 70 to 80 years, the greatest generation, right? They won World War II, but, but they, they did more than stand against the Nazis. They stood against theological liberalism. And men like Bill Bright started Campus Crusade, and Billy Graham started his crusades, and, and they started seminaries and Bible colleges, and most importantly, faithful pastors built up just gospel preaching, Christ adoring churches all across the country. Why did they do that? So that the next generation could stand on their shoulders. And stand they did. Working from the momentum of the past generation, men like John Piper started desiring God and and ministries like Together for the Gospel and the Gospel Coalition were started and theological scholarship deepened. I mean, we have an embarrassing amount of theological scholarship today. And and through new Christian publishers and the tech revolution, gospel impact began to go out farther than we ever dared dream and Vertical Church, it's just our turn. The millennial generation is up, and we haven't done so well yet, have we? We haven't had the same heroic spirit. We haven't thought in the same selfless categories. We haven't had the same just gospel grit. But we're up. And you alone can change. You can have real lasting impact on cities worth of people who aren't even born yet vertical church it's our moment it's our leg of the race and the worst thing we can do with our moment is see our generation as the standard if you live your christian life thinking this generation is the standard you will waste your life but if you will see yourself as you actually are poised in this moment for long-term gospel impact by God himself. If you will believe your moment is right now to make your unique contribution, the contribution that only you can make, if you will hand yourself over entirely to Jesus, withholding nothing, then in glory, I promise you will weep and wonder at just how significant your little life was. Let the children come. How do we own the moment? You know, the Lord said of the woman who anointed him, she has done what she could. You are called to simply yet profoundly do what you can. Low-hanging fruit, you can serve in vertical kids. If we believe Jesus' words in John 9, 37, that whoever receives a child in my name receives me, you guys, we would have a waiting list to serve in vertical kids. (laughs) I want to serve in vertical kids. Yeah, get in line. We'll call you in six months, right? Everyone wants to serve. If you have nieces and nephews or friends with kids, prioritize time with them. Once a month, just say, yo, I'm going to pick you up. We're going to go grab ice cream and I'm going to tell you about Jesus. I mean, I just love when people gospel my kids. The best way you can love us and you can say, "I'm not going to flake out either. I'm here for you until graduation. Every Saturday, or once a month, every Saturday, we're going." You can get involved with organizations together for good. Our MC is getting involved with. But most importantly, for for more, uh, most importantly, it's not about necessarily what you do, but listen, it's just who you are. Your life will leave a legacy. It's not a question if, it's just what. What's going to follow? What's, what are you going to leave an influence for generations to come? And the call today is to become a person just so in love with the Lord, so obedient to his scriptures, so filled in the spirit that, that you are the aroma of life to those who are being saved, and that will be smelt for hundreds of years. If you just love Jesus, the legacy piece will take care of itself. Let the children come. And so the disciples let the children come and watch how he receives them. Look at verse 16. And Jesus took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. (laughs) Don't you just love that? What did the parents come for? Look at verse 13. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. They're just hoping that Jesus would would pat the top of their child's head. Verse 16 says, no, no. He took them in his arms and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. Jesus probably caught a cold that day. But he didn't care. Don't miss the point here a lot of people look at this verse and think, oh, that's nice, Jesus loves kids. No, that's true, that's not the point. The point is that Jesus just said in verse 15 that everyone who comes to him must be like a kid, right? Like a baby, knowing they have nothing to contribute and now in verse 16, Jesus says, now let me show how I welcome people who are like babies. Let me show how I welcome kids. I don't pat their heads, I pick them up. In fact the word translated blessed here in verse 16 would be more literally translated fervently blessed. Like like smiling and swinging them around and tossing them in the air, the point is that's how I welcome everyone who comes to me like a child knowing they have nothing to contribute. So point 4 be blessed. We're going to spend much more time on this next weekend. But for today, you just need to know that when you come to Jesus, knowing that you are a sinful, dirty, filthy, non-contributing person to your salvation, his posture is not to keep his distance. His posture towards non-contributing sinners is to not pat your head, but pick you up, smile and embrace you with joy. Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. May all of us turn from our sins and come to Jesus again this morning, ready to be taken up, and blessed again. Today, Vertical Church, God is giving us a grand, generationally significant vision for our lives. He's calling us to spend our lives pouring them out, not just in service to this generation, but in service to the next and the next and the next to the glory of God. You know, the other day I was driving, and Haddon was sitting in the back car seat, and all of a sudden, he, he all of a sudden he just starts singing a song. Um, he goes, one, two, three, Jesus loves me, four and five, He's by my side, six and seven, He's the way to heaven. 8, nine, ten, sing it again. I can always count on him. I can always count on Jesus. I've never taught him that song. That song is a song he learned in Vertical Kids. Guys, that's what I'm talking about. I mean as a father? That's all I want to teach my kid. Like if he gets for the next 40, 50, 60, 80 years that Jesus loves him, that he's by his side, that he's the only way to heaven, that he can count on Jesus, that's it. And that happened That eternal soul learned that Jesus loves him and Jesus is by his side and Jesus is the way to heaven and Jesus is the only one you can always count on because some people who don't even have kids spent their Sundays teaching the next generation about Jesus. Some college kids came in and taught my kids. About the heart of God. Guys, as a father, let me say thank you. And as a pastor, let me say your life matters. Under God's sovereignty, you will set the spiritual trajectory for hundreds and thousands of people you won't meet until you get to glory. So let the children come. Do not hinder them for it is such belongs the kingdom of God. Let's pray.